The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matter such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Tonight, we stay in our home state of Georgia and bring you two cases of two extremely different people that both met tragic ends to point out the fact that crime doesn't discriminate. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise Podcast, and tonight we bring you the cases of Tracy Thompson and Levi Frady. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation's Perry Office is looking for a killer who brutally attacked a North Georgia transgender person in Wilcox County. It's been 16 years, and agents tell me this middle Georgia cold case is hard to figure out because the victim lived on the fringes of society. And they need answers to solve the murder of this transgender traveler. Murders don't usually happen in quiet, sleepy Wilcox County. We don't have them here much. Most times we have one here, it's pretty solved pretty much, pretty quick, you know. And uh, but that's the only one that we have that's not solved. It's a frustrating feeling. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, it's uh, Blackberry Winter, Coach. Heard my first whoop wheel last night. The blackberries are blooming. So any of you son of a bitches that whined about it being cold, you about to get a good old dose of Georgia weather, hot, sticky ass. And so when you start whining about the ones that whine, I always say this every year, the ones that whine about it being so cold, if you whine about it being hot, I have the right to slap you. And I have a couple of friends that get slapped. Not you, coach. You never whine about the weather. You just embrace it like a Dude, no, I, I promise you right now, I'm going to be bitching about the summer. I'm on, I'm on the playground at my job, and there's people like, oh, it's chilly. And I'm like, I've been sweating for an hour. Like, I'll take the, I'll take the cold any day, any day. Let me, let me tell you something. It happened three times today, but I love, I love teaching pre K special ed. It's stressful, it's hard, but it just comes with so many things to laugh about a bit, like later on. And their special needs, you know, they're they're awesome. I love them. God loves them. But you just say things that you never thought would come out of your mouth. You're right. Like, you do. <laughs> like, and within, you catch yourself. Yeah. Within 30 minutes, I said... Please do not bite my tummy. <laughs> and then I said, 
please do not bite the jungle gym. <laughs> and then I said, please stop licking the brick wall. <laughs> uh, and all of them were with the same tenacity and the same yeah. plead. Yeah. Just please. Yeah, I was desperate at that last one. I was just like, please, like this building is nasty. Like, a bird may have shit there. The building before this was a middle school. The building before the middle school, it was the high school. I swear to God, in the men's bathroom, when you go into the middle stall, you look to the right, and there are two stickers that are 1984-85 parking passes. <laughs> Some things you just can't. You can't put a price tag on that, Coach. So and then I mean literally like black mildew from the rain dripping on this brick and I'm like, please for the love of God, please stop. I can't explain. I'm not going to jail for you dying by licking a wall. Like, well, why didn't you stop her? It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's thirty people. There's thirty kids out here. <laughs> there's one of me. Yeah. Well, there were four of us, but still, that's not a good ratio. That's still not a good no. Still not the same odds of that were not in my favor. So we have a new patron and a shout out to a podcast that found us and fell in love with us. Uh, a podcast? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. I'll have to listen. We'll reciprocate. Uh, our newest patron is Miss Jane Cherry at the $3 sticker tier. She joined on the April Fool's, so maybe it's not an April Fool's. But anyway. Maybe it's a joke, man. Maybe she did it to be funny, and now she's stuck for a year. She's stuck. <laughs> stuck like Chuck. And then the podcast that I had the pleasure of speaking to this lady, and um, she found our Jessica Van Zant Dietzel case. Uh, it is the least of these. She's covering cases that no one talks about. Every life matters. Everyone deserves justice is her tagline. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Cool. We have had some traction. We, yes, we did take off, uh, for spring break. Coach took him a little trip. I took I St. Louis, brother. He had a much better trip than I did. I took a trip to the ER. There was a good chance Arlo was not supposed to be here. Um, what I heard. Yeah, it was a little little scary, so uh, head on collision. When I, it, when I heard about it, I was like, fuck, that's the end of the podcast, because I couldn't possibly. <laughs> well, what's funny is, growing up where I did, we didn't go to that county's hospital, because they, everybody was like, you're better off going to a veterinarian. And so... We, I had the, I had the absolute same uh, um, hospital in my hometown. Yeah, so I was like, I, I reverted back to when I was like 12, and so the battalion fire chief's there, and he's like, well, I got another ambulance coming for you, and I'm like, I'm not going to this hospital. Well, you'll have to sign a, a release form. I'll sign whatever you want to. And so my wife shows up. I get in the backseat of her Honda about halfway from there to my hometown. It dawns on me that now the hospital in my hometown is owned by the same people that own that hospital in that county. And I'm like, well, shit, I should have just took a ride. <laughs> so the reaction to be like, oh, man, do you hear Jimmy Bob got 
got in a car wreck. He's hurt real bad. And then it's like, where'd they take him? And they're like, hometown hospital. And everybody's like, oh, no. Yes, that's the way it went, man. When I was a kid, that's exact. As soon as like, you heard oh, that, yeah, you're like, oh. Oh, my God. Like, man. Is he going to make it? <laughs> <laughs> he, she ain't, and she ain't gonna see him again. <laughs> I will say that I would have been better off, and I'm very lucky. Don't get me wrong; I'm extremely lucky to to still be here. Um, and I'll post pictures of my Jeep and the lady's car that crossed the yellow line and hit me. But I would have been better off just going to an urgent care. I spent eight hours at the emergency room. They did. 400 x-rays and for some reason they can't send those to my primary care doctor so I get to go have more x-rays done two weeks later and then as I'm signing the discharge paperwork they give me my pain pill I th- I literally sat there for eight hours thinking my foot's broke and I did not get the first thing for pain until I was discharged Yeah, I was like this is ridiculous so if you Know where we live, and uh, you're ever in need. Don't go to the emergency room that I, need, I went to. <laughs> so that's enough of the bills oh, nails. Let's get into it, man. Tonight we are taking on two cases in our home state, two very different people that met untimely deaths. Uh, one much older than the other, but enough of the hidden teasers. <laughs> But we are talking first about Tracy Thompson. On March 19th, 1999, we know for certain that Tracy was in Dalton, Georgia, and that's where she grew up. That's where she called home. But that's not where she stayed most of her adult life. On March the 30th, around 4.30 a.m., Tracy knocks on the door of a rural farmhouse in Seville, Georgia, asking for a glass of water. Now, Seville, Georgia is 10 miles east of Cordell, and it's roughly, I want to say about 12, no, 10 miles east of I-75. Yeah. There's a ma- yeah, there's a major truck stop right there in Cordell. But anybody familiar with South Georgia, or if you've got Google at your fingertips, you can look it up. It is rural South Georgia. Once you get off that interstate, there is nothing. So she asked for a glass of water, a blanket, and a place to rest. Now, the couple that own the house notices that Tracy is bleeding from a wound to her head. So they call 911. Once emergency services arrive, along with the authorities, it is determined that Tracy has been beaten in the head with a baseball bat. It was estimated that there was a minimum of seven blows to her head. Wilcox County Sheriff Stacy Bloodworth told the Cordial Dispatch, quote, we backtracked where she had walked down the dirt road and found the crime scene. In the middle of the road were blood and a partial piece of a baseball bat, end quote. So they broke the bat. And she's still alive. And conscious enough to, to ask for help. Ask yeah, for water. To be she able asked to, for help. He's like, hey man. They think she woke she woke. They think she walked 
anywhere from a quarter to a half a mile from the point of attack to this rural farmhouse after being savagely beaten ahead. Now, GBI investigator Lee Weathersby confirmed in a separate interview that there was a piece of a broken baseball bat found at the scene. He also found blood in a tire track at the scene. Now, Tracy was wearing jeans and a white shirt dotted with pink flowers at the time of her attack. Miraculously, though, she survives the initial attack, is conscious and coherent, tells authorities what she believes happened, and so they piece together somewhat vague time frame of the attack occurring anywhere between 7 p.m. and 4.15 a.m. the next day, the day she knocked on the farmhouse. But I would say you could probably narrow that down to within less than 30 minutes of her knocking on the farmhouse door because they wind up transferring her to Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital in Albany, Georgia, which is a pretty good ride. And again, she is coherent. She is conscious and she's telling the nurses as well as the GBI investigators and the state patrol. What she believes happened was that she was attacked by a former boyfriend. Quote, Thompson said before she died that her boyfriend beat her up. What we are trying to determine is what she means by boyfriend and who that boyfriend is. Unfortunately, After telling authorities that she believes that she was attacked by a boyfriend, she succumbs to her brain swelling, which puts her into a coma. And just 10 hours after arriving at the hospital in Albany, she does ultimately pass away. Now, the road in question in Seville is kind of north of the town of Seville. But again, you're north of that town, but you're still just 10 miles east of Cordill which puts you about roughly about eight miles from I-75. Now, on April the 1st, now she passes away sometime late March 31st of 99 or early in the morning of April 1st of 1999. The local authorities call in the state patrol for a search of the area and an off-duty state patrol officer happens to join the search and he finds a handle to a baseball bat in a ditch roughly a mile from where she was attacked. Now, the next day, authorities attempt to locate Tracy's boyfriend. They have a name, and when they search for this name, it comes up with three people. So they have to track down all three men with this name. They're all from Georgia, and they're all truck drivers. But... They all three have solid alibis. I think two of them were actually out of the state, and one of them was, I think, on camera at a truck stop like way north of Atlanta. But I may be mistaken on that last one. But anyway, they all had solid alibis. Now, Investigator Weatherby would state, quote, I would look at who she traveled with from Dalton to Cordell. Who was that person? And unfortunately, we have not been able to discover who that person is yet. Now, they would turn. Go ahead. I mean, if she's 
she's associating with truck drivers a whole lot. So there ain't no telling where that person, who that person is, where they're from, why they were going. There's nothing. If you're going to be a murderer, truck driving's probably a good profession for you. Well, I, there was, um, what was that Discovery channel where they did the list, Long Island Serial Killer? At the end of that series, they theorized that just in the city of Oklahoma City alone, where all the interstates converge, that at any given time, you probably have 20 to 25 serial killers within the city limits, and they're all over-the-road truck drivers. I mean, it's terrifying. That is terrifying. So investigators would turn their attention to someone in the community that had a history of harassing people like Tracy, but they were not able to link that person to Tracy. Now, early in the investigation, uh, detectives theorized that this was the result of a hate crime. And you may be thinking to yourself, uh, why is it a hate crime? Well, Tracy was a transgender person and the authorities think that when she was picked up by whomever took her to that dirt road, when they discover that she is a man, that they snapped and beat her to death. Now, they would go as far as to look into her history, and she had served time for theft so they interviewed her former cellmate, but ultimately ruled that person out too because they were not in the area and had an alibi as well. Now, around April the 4th of 1999, investigators would go public asking for help in solving Tracy's murder, and there it was a huge write-up in the Cordial Dispatch. AJC picked it up, I believe, around the same time. But basically, that's of all the press at the time of her demise. Sometime in 2009, all the physical evidence from her case was reevaluated with new DNA technologies. Witnesses were re-interviewed, but nothing came of that. So we fast forward to August 12th of 2015, and the GBI states that the investigation into her death has not stopped and is being reviewed quarterly. Quote, even to this day, when we go back and look at this case, we go back and look at it from the beginning. What was done then and what needs to be done now? We still have some leads that we are following up on, but in any unsolved case, the longer they go unsolved, the harder it gets. And that is a GBI spokesperson speaking to the Atlanta Journal and Constitution out of Atlanta. Now, November 7th, 2017, GBI investigator Weatherby states, quote, the evidence has been tested multiple times. It has been tested with new technology, and there is still no suspect, end quote. Now, Tracy Thompson was born February 7th, 1966. She loved to travel, and but like I said in earlier, she did not like to stay in one place very long. It is rumored, or was rumored, that Tracy had an aunt and uncle who lived in Florida, so Tracy would travel back and forth from Dalton, Georgia, to some town in Florida. I never could find where this aunt and uncle possibly lived she would stay in florida anywhere from six months to a year before she started hitchhiking back to georgia she frequently hitchhiked from crisp and wilcox counties to florida 
And it sounds like basically she would get a ride from North Georgia around Dalton all the way down to Crisp or Wilcox. And then at a truck stop, she would find someone going close to her aunt and uncles in Florida. She had lived in Miami and Fort Myers at one time. No one has been located by investigators that traveled with Tracy during any of her travels. See what I did there? Yeah, see what I did. Yeah, Uh I did. Good, yeah. I know. I'm, You're so good, man. It's like I don't even need to talk. I know, bro. man. I know. I mean, it's, it could be a one man show. It's not because I didn't do a whole lot of research. It's because <laughs> it's so good. She was estranged from her family and friends at the time of her death. The GBI stated that she was a high risk victim. And I like the way this is put out there in the press. They do not victim blame. And this is the first time that I've seen it put in a written form where it, it they have a high risk lifestyle they're not saying yep. that they are less than anyone else of us which they're not every human life matters but she did lead a high risk lifestyle she hitchhiked through truck stops she was transient she didn't have a physical place to call her own but she was buried along family members in West Hill Cemetery in Dalton, Georgia. Now, like I said earlier, she was transgender, and before becoming, did you say that earlier. I don't think you did. I did. I did. I did. I think I thought you were saving it for the high risk lifestyle. Because I mean, back then it was very high risk, and yeah, I'm not trying to make light of the situation. When she her murder occurred, the LGBTQ community in san francisco released like an alert in whatever publications that they could get a hold of because her death was the fifth death in 1999 so from january of 99 till her death around april the first there had been five transgender deaths in that community so it was a basically a call to action wanting that community to stay vigilant well with what also if with the uh, high-risk lifestyle we don't know it never said but she could have made that lifestyle much riskier if she didn't disclose that she was transgender i mean i'm not saying what she was doing in these trucks i'm not saying that no. but if she was and the people didn't know and then they found out could have angered them a great deal. Correct. Now, she was formerly known as Billy Joe Turner, and when she would return to Dalton, she would sometimes use the name Tracy Turner. It has been stated that she used Tracy Turner occasionally in Florida as well. Over the years, Tracy was arrested 50-plus times, ranging from solicitation, vagrancy, criminal trespass, drunk driving, and like I said, she ultimately served time for petty theft. Well, it's, it's solicitations right there, so I wouldn't, I'm not saying she did it, but she at least got accused of it. Right. And I'm not I'm not victim blaming. I'm this is strictly background information on the high risk lifestyle. She was in and out of law enforcement agencies along that route from Dalton to Florida. Now, if you know what happened to Tracy, please call the Wilcox County Sheriff's Office or the GBI's Perry Office at 478-987-4545.
And unfortunately, there's not a lot of information out there about this case. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to cover it is to put that out there. Uh, AJC did release an article, what was it, 2017, 2019? I think it's 2019. And Coach found it. But Coach, you have a more personal tie to this case. Yeah, this is one of the first cases where I actually have a personal tie. But it's not me. But my sister worked at a movie theater for literally 20-something years. Literally. 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 And this uh, Tracy Thompson would come to the theater often. And so they knew each other in a roundabout way. But one time she saw her in a parking lot. Okay. And this is a direct quote from her. I was waiting in the parking lot with friends and waiting for another friend to get off work. And then there was a tap on my window. I looked and it was her. And she said, what are you laughing at, bitch? Damn. So I said, not you, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And she told me, she told me I was just jealous because she got more dick than me. And she was going to scratch my eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) And so a few other words were exchanged, but eventually calmer heads prevailed. And my sister did not get in a physical fight with, with her, but it would have been crazy. That would be a typical girl fight back in the nineties. I just, you're jealous, bitch. You're jealous. So, again, if you have any information, please contact the GBI or the Wilcox County Sheriff's Office. Hey, guys, Arlo here, and if you are struggling with the old caffeine in the morning, I have got the fix for you. It is called Magic Mind, and it is just a little two-ounce shot that you drink with your coffee or your energy drinks in the morning. It is chocked full of greatness. And it will get you focused, and it really actually has the L-theanine, and that lowers your cortisol hormone, which helps absorb that caffeine that you're intaking. Now, Magic Mind has nootropics, adaptogens, matcha green tea, and 12 magical ingredients. That matcha boosts your energy. The adaptogens help with relaxation, and the nootropics keep you focused. A bonus is that it has vitamins C and D along with the echinacea to help your immunity. So head over to magicmind.co backslash brews and enter the promo code BREWS20. That is brews20, BREWS20. And that will give you a 20% off coupon for either a one time purchase or subscription to a monthly dose of Magic Mind. Our next case is Levi Frady. And I was unaware of this case until we were looking for another case to go along yeah. with Tracy's. Yeah, we knew, we knew that, that Tracy's case was going to be short, but we wanted to share it because it needs to be shared and t- not forgotten, but again, we don't do a lot of Georgia cases, and it's not by 
it's not on purpose. We just, for some reason, we just don't look inside our own state. We could, we could do one every week. Yeah, but we just know that people are would rather us do almost an hour or over an hour rather than thirty minutes or, God forbid, two and a half hours again. All right, so Levi Frady was just 11 years old when his body was found in a wooded area in Dawson County, Georgia. Coach, that's your old college stomping grounds. No, close, very close. Actually, we lived, was in Dahlonega, but we all know Dawsonville. Dawsonville is from Dawsonville. from Dawsonville. <laughs> it's also uh, Dawsonville and Ellijay are kind of the two places that Squidbillies is set in. But if you ever go to LJ, if you're going for apples and all that, that's the only thing that's there and damn good wrestling team. But there's a gigantic Squidbilly statue on the way from LJ to Dawsonville. <laughs> yeah, there is. I forgot about that. So, no. <laughs> Levi was a sixth grade student at North Forsyth Middle School. On October 22nd, 1997, around 3.30 p.m., he arrived home from school and called his mother, Marilyn Parkman, at work. He asked if he could go to a friend's house. He explained that it was just down the road. I'm talking here. I'm sorry. Stop. You got to listen to me. I didn't know I almost had a tie to this case. You done been my, up there at North Forsyth Middle School? No, my wife, my ex-wife graduated from Forsyth Central, so that's not too far at all. No, it's not, sir. It was... A good funny story about how um, schools are named. There was uh, <laughs> the Forsyth County people. They 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 made Forsyth Central High School, West Forsyth High School, North Forsyth High School, South Forsyth High School, and Lambert. <laughs> I know when they did Lambert, I was like, really. <laughs> it's like, it was right there. You, I mean, we put it on a tee. It was, yeah, it was staring you right in the face. <laughs> Wonder what we should call this one. <laughs> Lambert. Poor, Let's go with Lambert. Poor East Forsyth County. Also, a bad story about that town is it, it was a sundown town. It was a sundown county. Yeah, sundown county. Yeah. Like, if you don't know what a sundown county is. Don't Google it at work. Yeah. <laughs> Oprah got there to understand why it was a sundown county. and They didn't take too kindly to that either. No, they didn't. We'll say it, though. A sundown county, unfortunately, is a county where if you were African-American, you needed to get out of town by sundown or your safety was not guaranteed. Very sad, but true. If you don't believe that there are still sundown towns and counties out there, just Google it because there are. Oh, yeah. Like I said, Levi calls his mom at work. He gets home from school around 3.30. He says, hey, mom, I need, I want to go to a friend's house. And he explains that it's roughly a mile down the road. So she was like, sure. And keep in mind now, this is 97. And it's rural North Georgia. So we rode our bikes everywhere. It was nothing for us to pedal five, six miles to go get a Coke. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we had a Coke really in the refrigerator. Not me. I was a chubby kid. (laughs) So this is nothing out of the ordinary. Levi hangs up the phone, grabs his backpack, hops on his little red bicycle, 
heads to his friend's house, like I said, about a mile away. At 6.38 p.m., now keep in mind, his ass was supposed to be home at 6.30. And in the South, if your mama says, get your ass home at a certain time and you're not there, you might as well just not come home. But around 6.30, Levi calls to explain that he was at another friend's house. His mom was taking a bath, so he tells his twin sister, Lacey, who answered the phone, exactly that. Lacey explains that mom's not real happy and he needs to come home now. It was getting dark and Levi was not really keen on the idea of heading home in the dark. And it was rumored that he was 11, but he was still terrified of the dark. But more importantly, there were some dogs on the route that he took to get to his friend's house that he did not want to encounter in the dark. And I can, I can side with Levi on that. Despite having a bicycle, you are not going to outrun said dog in a full sprint if he is chasing at you. So I do understand his trepidation. But reluctantly, Levi heads home around 6.45 p.m. Instead of going back the way he came down Picklesmeyer Road, Levi decides to take another road called Little Mill Road, and this will not take him by any dogs that like to chase him. So around 6.50 that evening, a neighbor on Little Mill Road sees Levi pedaling down the road with a small black dog following him, not chasing him, but just kind of trotting behind him. 7 p.m. comes and goes, and Levi's mom calls the friend's house that Levi had called her from earlier in the evening to see what the heck was going on. There was no answer. So Mrs. Parkman's motherly intuition kicks in, and her and Levi's sister Lacey head out to find Levi. Now, despite their best efforts, they are unable to locate Levi. They do find his red bicycle about a mile from home. Keep that in mind because that is going to be a key point of contention later. Red bicycle, mark it down. Now, Ms. Parkman contacts the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office the next day, October 23rd, 1997, at 8 a.m. to report Levi missing. Now, deputies begin searching the surrounding area, fanning out from Little Mill Road. According to the GBI in their investigation, Little Mill Road is heavily traveled because it cuts between State Highways 306 and 369. Now, around 2 p.m. on October 23, 1997, unfortunately, hunters discover Levi's body partially submerged in a water-filled ditch in the Dawson Forest Game Management Area in Dawson County. This is 20 miles from Levi's home. His autopsy would reveal that he had been shot three times. Once in the chest and twice in the head. Retired GBI agent Jim Holman believed at the time of Levi's death that his killer had, quote, every intention of sexually assaulting Levi, but for whatever reason, the unidentified subject killed Levi before that could take place, end quote. Now, at the time of his murder, the GBI would release a timeline in multiple newspapers, and all of the following times that I'm about to go over either occur on the 22nd of October or the 23rd of October, 1997. 
So we start back at the beginning of our story here with Levi. Between 3.30 and 4.12, he gets home. His home's on Burris Mill Road, and he takes the bus home. Now, like I said, he had a twin sister named Lacey, but she would stay after school for a function until approximately 5.30 p.m., waiting on her mother to pick her up. Now, they're saying at 4.12 p.m., he actually made the call to his mother's job in Alpharetta, Georgia, which is about a 30-minute drive from their home on Burris Mill Road, to tell her that he was going to a friend's house, and then he would also be visiting another friend as well. And that's when she told him that he needed to be home by 6.30. She leaves work around 4.45 p.m. to go pick up his sister, Lacey. Now, around 5.12 p.m. on the 22nd of October, a couple walking on Little Mill Road sees Levi on his bicycle heading in the direction of his friend's house. Two more neighborhood residents also see Levi on his bike earlier between 4.15 p.m. and 5 p.m. Now, between 5.45 and 6 p.m., the second friend and his family leave to go to a restaurant. Levi and friend number one also leave and head back to friend number one's house. When they get back, that is around 6.38 p.m. when he calls his mother and gets his sister on the phone. That's when it is discussed. Mom's not happy. She's taking a bath. You need to get your butt home. So he leaves that friend number one's house, and I think they say that the phone calls last about, I think, 12 minutes. So he is actually he leaves that house around 6.48, 6.50 p.m., and a resident in the Little Mill Road area sees him come out of the friend's driveway. Like I said earlier, he he decided to not go down Picklesmire Road, which was a straight shot back to his house. Instead, he went around on Little Mill Road to avoid those dogs. Now, around 6.52 to between 7 p.m., a motorist who was lost drives past a man who she describes as being between 35 and 60 years of age who had unkempt hair either light brown or grayish black. She said he was possibly wearing a white t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up. She stops and asks the man for directions. When she asks for directions, the man does not respond. And when she says, Mr., he lifts his head up and immediately walks into the woods. Not strange at all. Yeah. No, it's absolutely normal. No, I mean, in, you're probably near nowhere. Because I look this place, I look up the, the roads, there is still nothing out there. And it's dark and you're lost and you just, hey, buddy, can you point me in the right direction? And when you say mister, he turns and heads into the woods. Where are you? At that point, what are you going to do? Shit your pants, hit the accelerator, all the above. I mean, it's crazy, 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 crazy. So we've got all of this crazy stuff going on. Now, the area that this man is seen is was located at a residence driveway, which was within a few hundred feet from where Levi's body would be ultimately found. Now, the motorist would state that she did not remember seeing a bicycle anywhere during her travels of being lost. 
which if she's lost and she's freaked out about a guy that she just asked for directions walking into the woods, the seeing a bicycle and remembering is probably the least on her mind. At 7 p.m., after Levi had not returned home, his mother calls his friend's residences looking for Levi. She gets no answer. Between 7 and 7.15 is when her and Levi's sister Lacey leave to try to locate him. It is also at this time that Mrs. Parkman's boyfriend, a man named Tim Tatum, pulls into the driveway as they are pulling out. During the search, Lacey yells at her mother that she sees a bike that looks like Levi's at a driveway. However, either her mom doesn't hear her or simply does not react. Lacey does not mention seeing this bicycle again. That, ladies and gentlemen, is our new fuckery music. So when you hear that little rift from none other than the Manson of Maryland. Yeah, but you got to give the Eurythmics some credit too, bro. No, Eurythmics, you. the Eurythmics is the original owner, but that little intro is what we have decided will be our fuckery music. <laughs> so we do have some fuckery happening here at 734. All right, so let's just back up for a second after all that. You see your brother's bicycle. You tell your mother. She doesn't respond or she doesn't hear you, but you don't say it again? What the fuck? Yeah, that's crazy. Now, at 7.34 p.m., Mrs. Partman and Lacey return to their house. Lacey calls a friend and tells her that Levi has not come home. The family then goes to bed. Levi is nowhere to be found. They have not gotten in touch with a friend. The sister has seen the bike, but they decide, you know what? Ah, He'll come home. And they go to bed. At 2 a.m., however, Lacey's mom wakes up to check and see if Levi had made it home. Like he's some teenager that might have got drunk and lost his way. No, he's an 11-year-old that was on a fucking bicycle. And you went to bed and you just happened to wake up at 2 a.m. and think, hey, let's go see if he's in there. I'm not buying it. Mm -mm. She also gets in her car again and supposedly, allegedly, searches for him again, but finds nothing, goes back home and goes back to bed. Now, around 5.15 a.m. on October the 23rd, a neighbor leaving for work noted seeing a bicycle at the end of his driveway. Fast forward 45 minutes at 6 a.m., the neighbor's spouse leaves for work and reports the bicycle being in the same place as her husband saw it. Both residents deny ever touching the bicycle, just thought it was odd there was a red bicycle at the end of their driveway. The couple has children who catch a bus to go to school at 6.45. So when they get on the bus, the bike is still in the same place. At the end of their driveway in a ditch. At 7.02 a.m., Lacey, that is Levi's sister, calls her father, but does not mention anything to him about Levi missing. What? 
Yeah. You want me to play that music again? <laughs> now you get to play the whole damn song, bro. <laughs> like, we ain't got that kind of time or licensing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to call Daddy, but I'm going to leave out the fact that my my twin brother's missing. At 7.50 a.m., Ms. Parkman again searches for Levi and goes to his friend's residences. Levi's grandfather and other relatives are now searching for Levi. They, the relatives and the grandfather, are the ones that find the bike in the ditch, and after the family has a discussion, they decide to move it back to Ms. Parkman's house. Okay, all right. Now... Play the whole song. <laughs> we'll, we'll pay the fee. We'll pay the fee. <laughs> they do all of this before the authorities have ever been called, y'all. Oh, my God. Is this in a textbook of what the fuck not to do? Well, if it's not, pay attention and write it down. Write this down. Oh, God, please no. <laughs> <laughs> At 8 a.m., Ms. Parkman calls Forsyth County Sheriff's Office and files a missing persons report 12 hours and 10 minutes after Levi was last seen. At 10.15 a.m., Ms. Parkman finally tells Levi's biological father that Levi is missing. I don't know if I would say suspicious, but that seems pretty damn suspicious to me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, even the cat thought so. So, a retired a retired Dawson County officer confirmed on LeviFrady.com. Yes, there is a website out there, and that is going to be my recommendation later, and I will explain why it's going to be my recommendation much later. But he confirms on that website that the bike, when authorities finally take it into possession, had been wiped clean. There was no fingerprints on it, not even Levi's. Whoa. What? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm no detective. I got some suspects. Something bro. smells fishy in Denmark. I think that's how they mm. say it. Okay, so it was also said in a 2014 interview from a family member that Mama's boyfriend at the time, Mr. Tim Tatum, was also found in the Dawson Forest area the morning of Levi's body was found. He had no good reason to be in said forest, and I will get to that later, but... I told you the red bicycle was going to come back and be a head-scratcher. Now, the timeline is more detailed than what I have put out there. They have probably eight, ten more points, but... The last one I wanted to go over on the timeline was at 2 p.m. on October 23rd, 1997, the body of Levi Frady was discovered by hunters in Dawson Forest in neighboring Dawson County. Now, remember, he lived in Forsyth County. He had been shot a total of three times, once in the upper torso and twice in the head, but apparently not all from the same direction and not all at the same time. Levi had also apparently called 911 twice in the weeks leading up to his murder. Authorities have not released the transcript of those calls, so the reason for Levi calling 911 is still unknown. 
And the reasoning for not releasing those 911 calls is because it is an active investigation. But I feel like such a long time has gone past that what would it hurt? Seriously, unless, and we'll get into that unless later. So later that night, a hunter from the forest is interviewed and gives a description of a man he saw in the area close to where Levi's body was discovered. At approximately 10 a.m. that same day, he sees a man driving a small blue truck with a white camper. He also gives a description of a man wearing a dress shirt and dress attire, which would have been very out of place for a wildlife management area, especially considering that the 23rd was the opening day of gun season for the old white-tailed deer in the state of Georgia. Oh, okay. The plot thickens for sure. Yes. Now, the GBI is still looking for information on the two potential witnesses mentioned, the man who was asked for directions and turned and walked into the woods, and the man with the dress attire. The dress attire man may be the same man as the camper guy. Not real sure. These men have not been labeled suspects. They are just persons of interest that the authorities would like to speak to. Now, residents of the area have suspected serial killer Gary Michael Hilton due to some of the similarities between Levi's case and the case of Meredith Emerson. However, Meredith was a 24-year-old woman who was kidnapped, held captive for three days, and ultimately murdered. She was found decapitated in Dawson Forest in early January 2008. Her body was reported as being dumped less than a mile from the location Levi's body was found in 1997. Mr. Hilton is still serving multiple life sentences for the killings of at least five people. Despite the similarities in the cases, as far as I know, authorities have not been able to link him to the area at the time of Levi's death. And all of his known victims were between the ages of 24 and 84. So, an 11-year-old boy kind of is outside of his parameters. Not saying that it's impossible, just saying that it usually serial killers have a type they go after. Now, with the help of several residents, investigators were able to create a composite sketch of two possible witnesses. One of the men was seen walking along Little Mill Road in Forsyth County, and we'll post the composite sketch on our social medias while the other man was seen near the Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area where Levi's body was found. Now, GBI Special Agent Kim Williams stated to the Forsyth County News that, quote, to this day, leads still develop with the case. We consistently work with and follow up on leads. We talk with local agencies in Dawson and Forsyth counties in an effort to solve this case. Make no mistake about it, the GBI, Forsyth, and Dawson County authorities all want to solve this case and hold someone responsible for Levi's death. And we are interested in any information the public has relating to the day he disappeared and when he was found, end quote. Now, that would seem to be the end of the story, but go grab you another beer and hold on. We have some more fuckery. Not every, yeah, not everything is as it seems, young man. Not everything is as it seems. Family members were told that Levi had been shot in the head in 1997. In January of 2012, GBI Special Agent Mitchell Posey told the Atlanta local CBS affiliate CBS 46 
He believes Levi fought his abductor and was shot three times in the back as he tried to run away. Now, one of the hunters present the day that Levi was found was a man named Reverend Larry Kelly of Elijah. And he stated that Levi's body was found in a water-filled pit, not a ditch. He also states that despite news of Levi being found in a large pool of blood with his book back nearby, Levi was actually lying face up in a rain-filled pit near a mound of dirt. He was mostly submerged except for the bottom half of his legs. Quote, the water was so clear I could see his eyeball and eyelid were like floating. It just couldn't be real. Golly. Yeah. Levi was wearing dark colored pants, a light colored shirt that was pulled up over his chest and checkered boxer shorts. Quote, the boxers were pulled up over his pants like you see kids wear today, Reverend Kelly said. He goes on to state, another thing I remember vividly was his shoes. They were really clean, new looking. I don't know why. I just remember thinking that's kind of weird. They were so clean, end quote. He described Levi's shoes as being two-toned in color. Quote, I didn't see any blood anywhere, and I didn't see a book bag. End quote. So this begs the question, was Levi wearing the same clothes when he was reported missing, or had someone changed them? Going back to Reverend Kelly, he honestly believes that that the body that he sees at that time is a Halloween prank from a bunch of local teenagers. Knowing it's the opening day of deer season, they wanted to freak out the hunters. So he just turns around and goes back to his truck, roughly a quarter mile from where he sees Levi's body. Quote, I sat there, ate my lunch, but something kept bugging me. Something wasn't right. You know, you get kind of sick feeling in your stomach, end quote. So he knows that it's not a mannequin or a prank. He headed back, and for the first time, he sees hunters Jimmy Davis of LJ, a Vietnam veteran, and a younger man, an unnamed man, who also observed the body. So they all three go back, they look at the body, and a call was placed to Dawson County 911. And according to an October 30th, 1997 Dawson News and Advertiser article, law enforcement officers from Dawson County, Forsyth County, and the GBI, the Department of Natural Resources, and other agencies descend on the area and start searching the area around Levi's body. And they stay there for most of the night. Reverend Kelly said the GBI took impressions of his boots and questioned him. Quote, that agent, I can't remember his name, was very aggressive. He tried to tell me I wasn't telling him everything I knew, and he kind of got up in my face. I stepped back for a minute and said, I'm not interested in your politics. Then he decided to back off a little. No one from GBI, no one from Dawson County or Forsyth County ever contacted the good Reverend Kelly again. Really? Yeah. That's insane. When Forsyth County Sheriff Denny Hendricks and Lieutenant Bill Miller arrived on the scene, Forsyth County Sheriff Hendricks was blocked from entering the Dawson County Forest. 
Yeah, there's some fuckery about, brother. Yes. Quote, when we arrived, we were told to leave by the assistant district attorney, Jessica Moss. Hendricks wrote in a private letter of complaint on September 2nd, 1998, to GBI director Buddy Nix nearly a year after the murder. Quote, until someone can produce evidence to the contrary, I do believe a crime occurred in this county, Forsyth County, Sheriff Hendricks stated. In a July 12th, 2000 article in the Forsyth Herald, Hendricks more strongly expressed his feelings about the GBI and Dawson County investigation. Quote, I am ashamed for the GBI and for Sheriff Billy Carlisle. I would hate to think my boy was murdered and the law enforcement agencies couldn't get it together. What are we coming to in law enforcement nowadays? End quote. All right, so more fuckery here. I go back to the LeviFrady.com. And there's like this whole write-up on there. And I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest short, short, short version. So basically, uh, when was this? Around August 16th, 2013, this young man and another man get into an argument. And the younger man tries to stab the older man. And you may be thinking, self, what the hell does this have to do with anything? Well, this shit actually went on once before in 1997, just 39 days after Levi was murdered. Forsyth County investigator Mike Christian conducted a videotape interview of Tommy Albert Samples, 39, of Dawson County, after he had attacked Marshal Danny Talent, 61, also of Forsyth County. So Mr. Christian videotaped his interrogation of Mr. Samples, that's the 39-year-old, after he was arrested. And on this website, you can watch the whole interrogation, and they also have cut it down to a clip. In it, according to the video, it was during a fight that Samples says the 61-year-old talent hit or stabbed him with a gun, the same gun used to kill Levi, quote, it was a long gun. Same one. Stab him? Yeah, same one they shot Levi Friday with. Stab him. Yeah, um, when you look at Mr. Samples' mugshot, um, you're going to understand why there's a stabbing. Now, I will say this, depending on... I've seen some rifles, some twenty two rifles, that have the front sight that if a man was inclined to not use the business end of that weapon as it is intended, he could uh, accost someone with that sharp object at the very end of the barrel. However, again, once you see the mugshot, you'd be like, oh, oh, oh it makes sense now. <laughs> now, Sample says this. Just matter-of-factly, it was a long gun, same one they shot Levi Frady with. Do you think the investigator, Mr. Mike Christian, stops, says, wait a minute, can you repeat that? Please, come on, man. No, he don't. It's getting ridiculous. He don't. He sure don't. But he uh, requests a search warrant, but in the search warrant, they're not looking for the gun. 
Yeah, they're looking for a knife that Mr. Samples stabbed Mr. Talent with. Nowhere in the warrant is it ever listed, ever said that there might be a gun tied to the Levi Frady case. Two criminal experts interviewed for a February 20th, 2015, 11 Live News report, and that's the, hell, I don't even know what, are they ABC, NBC? I think they're NBC now. NBC of 11 Alive? Yeah, it's NBC. That's the local NBC affiliate in Atlanta. Like I said, there was two criminal experts interviewed for a news report called Seeking Justice for Levi Frady. Both said ballistic evidence is critical to solving Levi's case. The best evidence they have right now, physical evidence, is the ballistics. Former Detective Mike Brooks told 11 Alive. Criminal investigator Charles Middlestat felt similarly. Quote, we have ballistic evidence, he said. That's really the only affirmative thing that can be linked to somebody, end quote. So that begs the question, why didn't the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office issue a search warrant to find any weapons, especially one that may have been used to kill an 11-year-old boy back in 1997? Yeah. Now, we get to a little more fuckery little more hypothesis, and we're going to wrap this thing up, I promise. Let's go back to the 911 call. Now, the, this is a hypothesis on Reddit, and I wanted, this is probably one of the more intellectual things I read on this case, and I wanted to include it because there were some great points he brings up. Now, Levi called 911. This is according to this Reddit poster, and it does not have a username. It says deleted. He says Levi called 911 because Mama's boyfriend, possibly, and Mama were abusing Levi. Now, the boyfriend gets pissed because Levi didn't want to come home in the dark. So, boyfriend drives Levi's route looking for him so he could, quote, teach him a lesson. Which means, if you didn't grow up in the 80s or 90s, you're about to get your ass whipped when somebody teaches you a lesson. You're going to learn today. Oh, hell yeah. Now, this, again, is just a theory from somebody on Reddit. But Levi was starting to come into his own at 11. He was starting to get bigger. He was starting to get more mature, even though he didn't want to go home in the dark and face the dogs. But he was starting to get sick and tired of being abused. And possibly he was sick of watching his mother get beaten up also. He had called 911 twice in the weeks leading up to his murder. This is all pure speculation because, like I said, those transcripts have not been released. The hypothesis is that the boyfriend finds Levi, tries to hit him, maybe starts by ripping the bike out from under him, Levi finally has enough of it and starts to fight back. Boyfriend gets enraged, gets a gun out of the car, because, of course, he probably has a gun in a gun rack in the back of his truck, and he shoots Levi. Then he throws him in the truck, goes to Levi's house, tells Mom the situation. Mom, being the saint she is, says, well, what's done is done. Taking him to the hospital will land you in jail, and he won't make it anyway, so take care of it and put him out of his misery. Boyfriend does exactly that. Maybe boyfriend needs help getting rid of some evidence. So mom leaves the house at 2 a.m. saying that she was going to search for him. Da-da-da-da-da. Now, 
while that is way out there on the fringes and that takes a lot of speculation and a lot of imagination to get there, it does answer a couple of questions. Why police won't say what's on the 911 calls? Because that would tip off the boyfriend. From what I can gather, he's still alive. Why mom went to bed when he still wasn't home? Why mom acted as if she didn't hear Lacey when Lacey tells her that she sees the bike? Why the bike was moved by the family and wiped down? Back to why Levi calls 911. And why the daddy was not notified. Yeah, that's, that's, all of this is crazy. But not telling the dad is probably the craziest part. Now, there is another theory out there that Levi was riding home from his friend's house when he encounters an unsavory character from the composite sketch. The motive could have been anything. Maybe he witnessed him beating the shit out of a dog. Maybe he witnessed him spotlighting a deer. Maybe he witnessed, you know, the old drug deal at the end of the driveway. Whatever he witnessed. This individual thought that Levi would tell everybody that he came in contact with. And this takes into consideration the starting of hunting season. The same day that Levi's body was found. It could have been a case of he saw some hunter, like I said, illegally taking deer. Spotlighting. I'm pretty sure that shit goes on up there in Dawsonville and Forsyth counties because I know it goes on around here still. Whatever the reason, Levi's threatened with a gun and the woods is the closest place he can ride or ride. The closest place he. Jesus Christ, I can't get my tongue out of the way. <laughs> Jeez, Pete, man. You had no trouble in prison. <laughs> I was better trained back then. Whatever the reason, Levi's threatened with a gun, and the woods are the closest place he can run to to get away from man with gun. Otherwise, why would he not just keep pedaling his little ass down the road? Unsavory character gets off a shot before Levi makes it to the woods, and that's the shot to the back. Maybe he stumbles, gets back up, makes it into the woods. By this time, the guy's closing the distance, and... This would take into consideration the lost motorist asking for directions and the guy turning and walking into the woods not saying anything. Now, she doesn't, like I said, she's not looking for a bike, so she how is she going to remember a bike? Plus, she's lost. She's scared out of her mind because this guy just turns around and walks into the woods. Basically, the guy finds Levi huddled up at the base of a tree, shoots him twice in the head, then transports the body to the wildlife management area and there you go but again those are two different very different theories the first one takes a lot of imagination to believe that the mother is culpable uh there are a couple of articles out there that um i think the ajc and forsyth dispatch has released they interviewed her and um lacy is Still in the area. She has a son now. Uh, the mo- mother, Miss Parkman, states that um, Lacey's son is named after Levi. But it's just an odd 
there's so much going around there. And to be honest with you, I barely scratched the surface with the fuckery. There is a whole three or four pages of police cover up ineptitude. I mean, we could take another hour diving into that, but we're not. Um, this is a case, however, that is unsolved, just like Tracy Thompson's case. This is a case that's kind of gone cold that no one's talking about anymore. And unfortunately, we want to shed some light on both of these cases. Yeah, just because there's not a lot of information doesn't mean that they're not important. Correct. And there are a ton of cases in just our state alone that we probably will try to do this more often. Some cases that we can't find a lot of information on and we'll try to tie them together, put them with a couple of more cases so that we can get the word out there. If you are in a state that has similar cases, Arkansas, and you would like for us to hit up a couple of those, get the word out, we would love to do that. Also, if anyone has any information about the investigator, the private investigator in the Keeslin Roberts case that we covered, please reach out to us at mysteriousbrews at gmail.com. I actually went to high school with the private investigator that is a retired state patrol officer. I just do not have any of his contact information. I would love for someone who knows about that case that has his contact information to contact us either through social media or, like I said, at mysteriousbrews at gmail.com and get me in touch with him. I would love to get him on here and us kind of get Keeslin's story back out there again. But I do not have a theory on Levi's case. I There's nothing out there for us to come up with a theory on Tracy's case. I think if I was going to put a theory on Tracy's case, like Coach said, maybe something wasn't divulged. There couldn't have been, or there could have been zero solicitation involved it could have just been one of those things that a guy thinks he's picking up a girl and he's going to drive her down this two-lane road and rape her and then all of a sudden figures out that that's a man and the man starts fighting back and the only equalizer is a baseball bat. It could be as simple as that. But if you know anything about either of these cases, please contact those sheriff's offices in those counties or the GBI, and let them know. Or you can contact us, and we'll put you in touch with whoever we need to. I mean, I think that's the only theory I would go with, too, is is somebody was surprised. Yes. And then took great offense. Levi's case, I've just, this could have been a rabbit hole case that I got sucked into, and I probably will look at the LeviFrady.com more. I just don't have, I with what's going on with my foot and my wreck, I just did not have time to kick this episode down the road. But there's too many unanswered questions in Levi's case for it to just be some random pedo out there that tried to molest him and he got away or fought back. I just, it may be as simple as that. Occam's razor says it is, but I'm just not buying it in this case. There's a lot of, lot of shit that just doesn't smell right yeah i agree something's rotten like i said 
my recommendation is levifrady.com. That's L-E-V-I-F-R-A-D-Y.com. It is a very, very good website. Um, great pictures. Uh, each picture has a question or a blurb. And if you click on that, it goes to another page and it, they have pictures, they have documents, they have copies of documents, they have those interview files. So you can get lost in this case if you wanted to. But that is my recommendation this week is LeviFrady.com. Coach, what you got? Uh, I don't know, man. I didn't think one, dude. I've been so busy this week. How about that sandwich uh, you ate? Oh, bro, yeah. <laughs> Uh, with that brisket sandwich from Arby's I had while we were pre-gaming the show. Holy shit, was it good. Yeah, so, yeah, you, that's a good recommendation. If you've never had Arby's brisket sandwich, it is something to behold. This is, this is the first time I've recommended food, but, whoo, it was good. Y'all should have seen him eating that thing. We get this new background on our uh, – <laughs> our, uh, Zoom here. Uh, we're gonna start videotaping some of this shit. We're yeah, gonna I gotta, peel the I onion. Gotta email it to myself. Yeah. So and so I can upload it on my pewter. Well, that's better than your pubes. So <laughs> no doubt. Well, coach, you got anything else? You know I don't. Deuces. <laughs>